The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now here's your host, Mary Woods. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to One Hour at a Time. This is Mary Woods, and I'm your host today. Um, Our show is entitled A Day Without Pain, and our focus is going to be chronic pain, what it is, um, how to treat it, and, uh, you know, what's effective treatment and what is an effective treatment. And I'm very happy to introduce to you our guest today, Dr. Mel Pohl, who is board certified in family practice. He's certified by the American Board of Addiction Medicine, and he's a Distinguished Fellow of the American Society of Addiction Medicine. He is the Chief Medical Officer at Las Vegas Recovery Center. He's on the Planning Committee for ASAM's Common Threads Pain and Addiction Course, and he coach, he's the co-chair of ASAM's Pain and Addiction Work Group. And um, Dr. Pohl is nationally well-known and very respected within the addiction profession, so thank you very much for taking the time to be with us today. Thanks. It's great to be here. Thanks for asking. So, um, you know, chronic pain and opioid uh, abuse prescription seems to be at the top of everybody's um, concern list with good reason, but could you begin just by informing our audience, what is chronic pain and how how do we get it? Yeah, um, that's a fair question and a good place to start. I, I differentiate... I mean, everybody knows pain. There's none of us in the world who are, have a pain-free life. Uh, what we're most familiar with is acute pain, which is sort of functional, uh, helpful pain. The, the purpose of pain is to warn us something's wrong. So if you break your ankle, you feel that pain, and it tells you, don't walk on that ankle or it'll get worse. Uh, or if you have an infected tooth, that signal of pain functions to, to make us behave differently. And that's, that's how the circuitry works in the brain. Chronic pain is long lasting, so longer than three to six months. And usually it's, it's a, a lifelong pain. I mean, chronic by definition is something that really is with us, uh, perhaps on and off, but, but for the long run, for the long haul, uh, like any other chronic process. And it is, it's a different animal than acute pain. So what we're familiar with uh, in terms of functional pain, the, the signal that says something's wrong, don't do this. Chronic pain can happen in uh, muscles or, or tissue or bones, uh, or even it can be unexplainable. I mean, an example of, of chronic pain is fibromyalgia or chronic headaches. We can't find anything wrong in the actual tissue uh, of the person, and that's because the pain signal really incorporates a, a process of, of uh, transmission and transduction, and it ends up in the part of the brain that feels pain, but also that uh, is associated with emotional overlay. And what en- ends up being 
characteristic of chronic pain is that it is not going away and it is associated with all sorts of uh, emotional and, and cognitive or thinking-related baggage, and it doesn't serve the function that pain serves. So, you know, I have chronic back pain that I talk about a lot because uh, I like to talk about it. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's, I have a bulging disc that causes the pain, so it's a structural abnormality, but the problem is not in my back. The problem is when I am troubled by the pain, it's really what happens inside my brain that, that makes it problematic. So chronic pain, it's a different process, a different real, uh, really a different animal than acute pain. You know, it's interesting that um, you, you talk about the emotional overlay because I think so very often that um, there are certain characteristics of folks that have chronic pain in that this is just my observation, it's not mm-hmm. research or validity, but they often tend to not share their feelings in the moment. They often mm-hmm. tend to, um, you know, really feel burdened emotionally burdened by, by life in, in some respects. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's like if you, if you don't talk about your feelings, they're going to come out in a different way. And that's what we try to teach people around here all the time is let's talk about it, deal with it, and get it, you know, move beyond it. But Yes, um, yes. I, I mean, and there is actually data that shows that for somebody who's got a broken ankle or back pain that lasts less than 30 days, there's a particular part of the brain that lights up. Uh, it's called the thalamus, uh, and there's related circuitry uh, that, that have this functional uh-oh warning sign. It's part of our sympathetic nervous system. It's part of the nervous system that's on alert, uh, close to fight or flight. When people have chronic pain, there's a different part of the nervous system that lights up, and, and we've proven this on uh, MRI scans. So, uh, and and you'll appreciate this as somebody who understands the disease of addiction. The part that lights up in people with chronic back pain is in the area. It's called the nucleus accumbens and ventral tegmental area. These are areas that really are activated with the disease of addiction. So, what we we you know I'm sure we'll be talking about this, but what really is the the challenge with folks who have chronic pain and use medications to treat the chronic pain is that the medications work in the center of the the process of pain, and they're, they look a lot like addiction. So that chronic pain ends up being a sort of a, a repetitive recycling circuit uh, inside the person's brain. Before we get to that, I'd just like to talk a little bit about how did this emphasis on pain become um, so great? When I was in nursing school, we didn't, of course, it was 100 years ago, but we didn't have the <laughs> emphasis on pain that we have today. I mean, certainly you you assessed for it, but yes. um, how, how did we get to this in medicine? Yeah, how do we get from from there to here? Well, yeah. there's, uh, there's, the facts are that uh, it, it, there was a, a, a move away from medicating pain, uh, and then that got labeled... Uh, what happened was that a hospice came around, and hospice, mm-hmm. the, 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 the movement was really, people are dying, they're at the end of their life, let's give them whatever relief they need. We certainly don't have to worry about what happens six months from now. If they continue to take medicine and get addicted, it's, it's irrelevant because their lifespan is going to be four to six weeks. So 
the 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 science of treating pain became back into the mainstream of acceptable and the which is appropriate you know if somebody has a limited length of life we ought to offer them any resources that we can to give them relief from their symptoms but uh, probably 20 years ago the movement shifted and you know we could speculate i can speculate about how that happened uh i think that there was a significant inf- financial influence of the pharmaceutical industry that was making a certain amount of money on selling drugs to people who were dying in limited amounts versus selling those same drugs to people who are going to live decades uh, and there's 100 million people or 125 million people in the United States who have this chronic pain condition or conditions related uh, with associated chronic pain. So I think it was a, a market placement and a lot of effort and energy went to giving the message that these this was a good plan, <laughs> you know, that if it works for oh. cancer, it, it's going to work for everybody else with chronic pain. And about the same time, the Joint Commission, or yeah, JCO, came exactly. out with pain yes. being the fifth vital That's right. sign. So in an attempt, I mean, who knows what was really at the, at the root of this, but in an attempt to not undertreat pain, we ended up uh, uh, validating pain complaints, but not only validating pain complaints, but, but you know, what are you going to do if you're a nurse and you're in a hospital where you have to check the pain score and you have, you know, how many minutes with a patient with all these responsibilities, if they got a pain score of six or seven or eight, they're going to get medicated. So it was a strategic blunder. Uh, and whether it was calculated uh, to, to help this effort of selling more drugs or not, I, I don't know. But it certainly has backfired. And there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of realization. I mean, you know, 19,000 people died last year of opiate overdoses, uh, more than motor vehicle accidents. So we, we really, the pendulum has swung way in the in the negative direction. And, uh, it, you know, the, the, the horse is out of the barn at this point, and we're trying to figure out how to get it back in uh, because there's really uh, millions of Americans are dependent on these drugs as a result of the efforts that we've been talking about. Well, and I think the other thing from my perspective as a nurse is that we were trained in different ways to treat pain. It wasn't just give somebody a pill. It was about positioning. It was about using ice or heat. So getting people up and moving them. It was about range of motion and and continually helping people to become more flexible for joints and, and whatnot. Acupuncture was something. And it just seems like now there's a medication for everything and we don't go beyond that in yeah. our thinking. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I'm glad to hear you were trained. I don't know that the the typical process really for for orienting uh, an acute care nurse, for example, in a hospital uh, to really look at those alternative measures. And interestingly enough, the Joint Commission has now come out with some mediating uh, recommendations, which are that when a nurse in it, because Joint Commission, of course, uh, certifies most uh, hospitals uh, and treatment centers and a, a lot of outpatient clinics. So uh, now they've come out and said, well, yes, get the pain score, but then look at alternative interventions that might be effective other than simply medicating uh, the patient. But too little, too late, uh, you know, I might say, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, we... 
part of the solution is changing the education system of, of both yes. physicians and nurses and nurse Oh, my goodness, yes. Yeah, you know, big so. challenge. Uh, yeah, big challenge. Yeah. I'm not sure how it's taking on in nursing school. I can tell you that there are a couple of new universities uh, that are opening in Las Vegas, and they're going to have medical schools associated, and they are very interested in uh, teaching the, the proper balanced message uh, for treating chronic pain, uh, and that is don't don't depend on medication, but rather use it as a part of an armamentarium. And you know, we have to really modify our expectations of how effective chronic opioids are going to be, because they, you know, the data says they're really not terribly effective uh, in people who, who uh, suffer chronic pain. Well, and and this is my belief, but I think there's an art to helping somebody detox. And I think yeah. there's an art to help, helping somebody with pain. And nobody focuses on the art anymore. They just focus on the science. So I think we've lost something. And on that happy note, we'll go to a commercial. Yeah. We'll be right back. Okay. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Every day, you hear so much about different aspects of the health and wellness field. One day, you hear one thing, and the next day, you hear something that contradicts what you heard the day before. How do you know what's right? Try tuning in to The Cutting Edge of Health and Wellness today with Dr. Neil Nathan. Our goal is to educate and explore this field with guest experts in order to help you take control of your health and well-being. Listen Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. What causes us to be sick? We're not talking about the actual illness or the scientific cause of illnesses. We're talking about your body and health. Listen for the healing whisper of Return to Peace. Each week, host Dr. Marianne Chase shows you how to listen to your heart to identify poor health, stress, and disease. You'll learn how to heal energetically and spiritually, as well as physically. It's time to depend less on the drugs and more on the heart. The Healing Whisper airs live every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Health & Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back to One Hour at a Time. This is Mary Woods, and today our 
Our show is A Day Without Pain, and we're talking about chronic pain and um, treatment for chronic pain that's effective and treatment that isn't effective. And our guest is Dr. Malpole, who is a board-certified in family practice, and he is the chief medical officer of Las Vegas Recovery Center, and he's also a nationally known speaker, and he's co-authored Pain Recovery, How to Find Balance and Reduce Suffering from Chronic Pain. Pain Recovery for Families, How to Find Balance When Someone Else's Chronic Pain Becomes Your Problem Too, and A Day Without Pain. And his newest book with Kathy Ketchum um, is The Pain Antidote, Stop Suffering from Chronic Chronic Pain, Avoid Addiction to Painkillers and Reclaim Your Life, which was published last year. Um, There's a new film that uh, aired in August 2016 on PBS called The Pain Antidote. So, um, so Dr. Paul, in our last segment, you were talking about how chronic pain lands in the same part of the brain that addiction does. Mm-hmm. So, can you explain that? Because you're not, you, I don't think you're inferring that chronic pain is an addiction. No, uh, it, it's not uh, synonymous with addiction, of course, uh, but there's a lot of similarities. Uh, the, um, you know, the addictive cycle is involved with the reward center. Uh, so the reward center is where we would uh, traditionally think of getting high. So we're rewarded by doing things that are good for us, which includes getting out of pain. It, it feels good to get out of pain. So the relief that is associated with pain, uh, decrease in pain, can, can get pathologically, uh, say, co-opted. Uh, in a person's life. So then it becomes, I need to be out of pain no matter what. And the cycle really becomes uh, self-supporting. Uh, and, and of course, drugs are involved in that. So um, the, the, the way that complicated cascade happens is, is not terribly well understood, but there, there's at least a suspicion that there are parallels in the processes. That's really interesting. So, um, so are the treatments similar? Um, well, yeah. I mean, I, I'm a believer in, in 12-step uh, systems uh, to facilitate recovery uh, as well as uh, a variety of therapies like cognitive behavioral therapy and uh, dialectical behavioral therapy and acceptance commitment therapy. And there are bodies of literature on all of those kinds of skill sets for people with chronic pain. Uh, at the center, we have a group, and the it's a 12-step base group, and the first step is I'm powerless over my pain as opposed to I'm powerless over my addiction or I'm powerless over alcohol. And it, it really is that my life is consumed by this this downward spiral is is a very parallel process to many people who have drug addiction um, it, it's the other interesting thing that happens at our center because we treat uh, in Las Vegas uh, people who have straight out drug addiction uh, and then we treat people with chronic pain who have gotten hooked on drugs as a result of a, 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 a pursuit of relief and they sit in the same groups and sometimes they uh, are it's brilliant you know the way groups work is uh, you know some sometimes people get information from the least likely source you know a septuagenarian with back pain is learning from a 18 year old heroin addict uh, and vice versa uh, so th- that's kind of the 
the cool thing that happens here. Uh, but not uncommonly, people really differentiate themselves and say, well, I don't have addiction. You know, I got these drugs as prescribed from the doctor uh, and I took them as prescribed. They stopped working, so I took more. The doctor continued to prescribe them. So it, it, it looks very different on the outside, but some of the core stuff really ends up being the same uh, because these are, these are heroin pills, hydrocodone, oxycodone, morphine. They're heroin in pill form. So... Um, what do you think if, if we're, if we're looking at pain and, you know, certainly we don't want people to suffer in pain, but it's been my experience that some people, the pain becomes their identity and that's, that's who they are. That's what they talk about. Their life focuses around it. And in your book, you talk about, you know, there's a secondary gain for some people Mm -hmm. for pain and, and how much of that do you see? Uh, a ton. Um, I really, and and this is you know it gets it gets tricky. So the the first premise that I that I need to state out loud and often is that the pain is real. Uh, in no way would I ever suggest people are making up pain to to get something. Uh, but the the phenomenon of secondary gain is it, it's it's a subconscious process so it's not like i say i'm in pain so i can get drugs i say i'm in pain so i don't have to go to the supermarket i say i'm in pain so i get to lie around and not work but because i'm in pain i lie around and uh and don't work and because i'm in pain i get to take as many drugs as i want and the the psychology of that is is very subtle but it's very present in to some degree, every one of our patients, everyone who comes here has some amount of secondary gain. And one of the things that happens is sometimes people, usually people's pain comes down at least 50%, uh, and that's, off they t- that's after they take the drugs away. Um, the, there are some patients, probably 10% of patients, maybe 15%, where the pain is unrelentingly high. And I will sit with those patients and ask them to complete an assignment. And the assignment is, why am I holding on to my pain? And people get really angry at me for asking them that because they say, well, you know, you're saying I want to have pain. I'm doing it on purpose. And, you know, I explain just what I've what I've said here, which is that, no, it's not on purpose and it's not conscious. But the whole that some people have on their pain is just what you said. It's, it is their identity. It is who would I be without my pain is what one patient actually wrote on that slip when I asked her the question. Wow. It's almost mm-hmm. like you hear parents who live vicariously through their children to the point yeah. where they don't even have their own identity anymore. I had wow. a patient who came with her husband a number of years ago with neck neck problems, and she'd had three cervical uh, surgeries one after the other, and I, I, I interview, she interviewed me, really, to decide if, if we could help her, and she had chronic headaches. And I was taking a history. The husband and the patient were in the room, and I said, how many surgeries have you had? And he said, we've had our neck operated on three times. And I said, wow. excuse, excuse me, who, who has their neck operated? And it was... His experience. So, yeah, parents and children, spouses, children and their folks uh, are very enmeshed. You know, much as we understand codependence, there is a, uh, I have a colleague who calls it malignant codependence with, uh, with chronic pain because, geez, they have to take the medicine because they're in pain. Right. 
and everyone has to adjust to, That's right. you know, where where you sit, how long you stay somewhere, where you That's park right. your car. I mean, it's, yeah. it, it becomes yeah. all-consuming to try to cope with the chronic pain. Yeah. And, and again, uh-huh. I just want to stress that this is not a volitional uh, uh, thought-out process. This is all uh, conditioning that happens to every human being. We continue to do the things that are uh, that we're positively conditioned for, and and one of the things is identity. I mean, I, the, the other poignant answer I heard was when I asked somebody why she held on to her pain. She said, "I don't, and I don't deserve to be pain-free. Not entitled uh-huh. to be free uh-huh. of my pain." And she had a horrific trauma history uh, of starting sexually at, at a little girl and she she began to do some of that work with us and, and she began to loosen her hold on her uh, you know her unworthiness well and I think it's also important for people to understand too that there are if you do have chronic pain there are, there are some very effective ways to treat that that promote wellness and activity and you mentioned some of those in a day without pain and I was wondering if you'd like to talk a little bit about some of those alternatives. Oh, sure. Well, the, uh, the, the workbook, Pain Recovery, that you mentioned is really the, that's the textbook that our patients work in. Uh, and the, the whole premise of pain recovery treatment, which is what we do here at Las Vegas Recovery Center, is that we look not only at the physical aspects of the pain, we do. We pay a lot of attention to the physical aspects. But we also, and just as importantly, have to look at the cognitive processes, the thoughts about pain, the emotional responses and experiences of pain, and the spiritual phenomena associated with chronic pain. And it's usually a pretty severe spiritual disconnection, much as it is with people who have a frank addiction. Uh, and we work... Uh, fairly systematically in all four areas. I mean, certainly from a physical standpoint, depending on what the condition is, uh, exercises or movement and and, uh, all the various kinds of movement are absolutely crucial. I mean, you know, move it or lose it is, is well said. And the less we move, the stiffer we get, the stiffer we get, the more it hurts. So we have a yoga and qigong and uh, physical therapy. Uh, We use an acupuncturist who comes in once a week. And for certain people, changing the energy flow with uh, needles is really very effective. For others, it doesn't seem to make that big a difference. Uh, And then we have a a strengthening program with a trainer. uh, And patients work at their pace. So, uh, you know, one of the things that we teach people is uh, you, you, if you've been immobilized and you start feeling better when the drugs are gone, don't go power walking just yet. Just take a halfway around the track outside uh, and, and then extend a little bit every day. Uh, and I mentioned yoga and qigong. I mean, there's a, a breath body uh, conditioning that's, uh, that's enhanced with that, with that uh, process. Uh, but, you know, people have to do the work on their thoughts and feelings. Uh, my belief is that, and my experience in treatment is that until and unless people do that work, they're not going to get better. With the best surgery, with the best exercise program, we have to deal with how we think and feel about chronic pain. And what's underlying lying that, whether it's the trauma or the inability to express themselves. Uh, a long time ago, I yeah. remember in the addiction world uh, doing this uh, class and, on anger, and, and one of the premises was depression is anger tr- turned inward. 
And, right. um, and, and conflict, I mean, you know, we... I think a lot of us are brought up to be conflict avoidant, where the reality of it is is that if you can deal with it in the moment, you have a much richer life. And, yes. um, and we'll be right back after this commercial. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Step by step, you made it through the journey of pregnancy. Now your baby is in your arms and you're on the cusp of a new journey, breastfeeding. As a new parent, you receive a lot of advice, much of it conflicting, some of it outdated. Tune into Born to be Breastfed with host Marie Biancuzo to bust through the myths about feeding your baby. Marie and her guests will help you figure out what you can expect and put you on the best and surest path on your breastfeeding journey. Listen every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We are bombarded with information daily about happy life strategies, beauty products, and business success ideas. Are they truly going to make a change or just take the change out of your pocket? Tune in to Shelly's Show and Tell with host Shelly Hancock. Shelly will explore and recommend proven business ideas as well as show you how to use the law of attraction to create health, happiness, and a prosperous business. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health and Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back. Our topic today is chronic pain and effective treatment for chronic pain. Um, Our guest is Dr. Mel Pohl, who is a board certified in family practice. He's also certified by the American Board of Addiction Medicine, and he's a distinguished fellow of the American Society of Addiction Medicine. He's chief medical officer at Las Vegas Recovery Center, and um, his newest book is called The Pain Antidote, Stop Suffering from Chronic Pain, Avoid Addiction to Painkillers, and Reclaim Your Life. So um, how do you live a day without pain, Dr. Paul? Um, well, uh, it, it, <laughs> you want the easy answer, huh? 
Uh, no, you can do the long one. <laughs> the long one. There's yeah. a, there's a lot of components, as we said in the in the last uh, in the last segment. It really entails uh, looking at your whole life and not uh, compartmentalizing and looking for a fix for some tissue abnormality that is not the underlying cause of the of the chronic pain. You know, we have to uh, sort of abandon uh, an expectation that everything's going to be okay. It's just like a person with addiction has to abandon the fact that they can really never drink or use mood-altering chemicals again. Now, that's a pretty tall order, so we can we can break that off into bite-sized pieces, and, and that's really what the person with chronic pain can do. Uh, they, I believe they need to pay attention to their nutritional status and their hydration, you know, some really basic things about uh, eliminating toxins or decreasing toxins. Smokers have 20% more pain than non-smokers, you know, a simple place to start, Um Physically, we have to get people moving uh, and moving within their the constraints of their ability to move. So it's not go out and, and run a race. It's just, you know, get yourself out of bed, walk to the mailbox, get halfway around the block and come on back. Uh, and, and, you know, working with somebody who understands the body and body mechanics like a physical therapist is very helpful. Uh, and, uh, of course, in conjunction with a physician. Um, you know, working with those thoughts as we talked about and whether that's done in a therapeutic session or a support group or a 12-step program, um, there are manuals for a variety of different therapies uh, that, that we use. And, you know, that's one of the reasons we wrote the workbook was to help people uh, guide through how do I deal with my thoughts and feelings about pain? Uh, one of the clinical skills techniques that I'll mention is called free writing. Free writing is a, a process where you take a piece of paper and you write whatever comes to mind. You don't reread it while you're writing it, and when you're done with the page, you throw it away. So it's a sort of a mental dump, and there's so many uh, nooks and crannies of our belief systems that get uh, co-opted when we're in chronic pain that it really pays to do that uh, and do it on a consistent basis. I haven't yet mentioned uh, mindfulness practice, meditation, but we train our folks in that in a variety of skills and techniques, and uh, everybody gets an opportunity to meditate, uh, if, if not daily, certainly several times a week. Um, I think those are the those are the keys. Getting support from family is a is a really uh, if there, if it's possible, it's a it's a wonderful part of the plan. Uh, it, it's tough to do this on your own, and if you have family uh, in your life, then uh, getting support from those people is really key. I, I know inflammation plays a big part with a, with mm-hmm. a lot of chronic pain. So you mentioned earlier diet, and there's a lot of information on, in terms of you know the types of foods that eliminate inflammation and support joint and and just tissue health. So yes. that seems to be an area where a lot of people are focusing on as well. Yeah, uh, there's. Uh, some, you know, that we don't have great data on any of this, but there's a lot of uh, suggested studies and there's uh, theoretical advantages to a variety of different kinds of foods. Uh, but, you know, start with the toxins. Eliminate things like sugar, 
Uh, alcohol, even if uh, addiction is not on the table, alcohol is inflammatory. We want to de- decrease omega-6 fatty acids, which are in uh, grilled foods and uh, all of the preserved foods that we tend to ingest in fairly high quantities. Um, and I think I mentioned uh, quitting smoking, including quitting vaping, is really highly recommended. Uh, so what can you do to counteract pain? Well, there's a, certainly hydrating the system, so drinking enough water is a simple uh, and, and necessary part of, uh, of, of decreasing inflammation. Uh, increasing omega-3s to counteract those toxic omega-6s, so that's what's uh, in fish oil and naturally in salmon and mackerel and tuna, freshwater fishes, uh, and also you can get an omega-3 supplement, of course, uh, organic kinds of preparations of foods and vegetables uh, that don't have pesticides, which are inflammatory, but also uh, grass-fed versus grain-fed beef and and poultry is is, uh, less inflammatory. Cocoa, uh, dark chocolate is anti-inflammatory, so uh, increasing, uh, not overwhelmingly because you don't want to put weight on, but certainly having a few squares of dark chocolate appears to have an anti-inflammatory effect. And there are powerhouse vegetables. Uh, A lot of the dark green leafy vegetables uh, are have an anti-inflammatory effect uh, and some uh, red peppers and uh, broccoli and uh, spinach and arugula uh, are, uh, have the anti-inflammatory effect. And then there's some anti-inflammatory fruits like uh, tart cherries and uh, blueberries and cranberries. So, you know, it's not an all-or-none phenomenon, but uh, it certainly pays to do the easy things, you know, eliminate some of the things that are really clearly toxic and gradually increase uh, exercise and ingestion of positive uh, healthy foods. You had mentioned in the last segment about how at the Las Vegas Recovery Center you have like a 12-step group that focuses on pain. Is that unique to your facility or are there other 12-step groups that focus on pain? Uh, Well, there's a chronic pain anonymous exists in certain cities. Uh, it started in Phoenix, and they actually do have a textbook. Um, but whether it's in most cities or not, uh, there's a lot of variation in, in, in where it exists. We started a group called a Pain and Recovery Support Group, uh, and we have a, a packet of literature that's available to anybody who's interested. They can uh, write to me or uh, write to the Las Vegas Recovery Center and ask. Uh, and it's it, it sort of utilizes the 12 steps uh, strictly for, for the purpose of pain. And as I said, the first step in that group is I'm powerless over my pain. My life's unmanageable. Now what? So can we talk a little bit about for those folks that are in recovery from um, alcohol or other, other drugs and they're going to have surgery or something's happened to them and, and they are in pain, what are some alternatives or what should they say to, to mm-hmm. ERs or hospitals or sure. how can they advocate well, for themselves? Yeah, I mean, I think there's two parts to your question. I mean, the first is if I have surgery or or a source of acute pain, opiates may be necessary. You know, uh, if you have a kidney stone or a broken ankle or you've had abdominal surgery, it's not going to be 
inappropriate to take a dose uh, of opioid medications. Uh, and what we suggest to people is that they uh, make sure that they understand that th- that is a potential relapse trigger because the opiates, the brain can't tell a prescribed opiate from heroin. Uh, and that so that they have some external control, if it's a friend or a spouse who holds those medications, use as little as possible for as short a period as possible, and check out the the points of balance in your life before you have the surgery. So, you know, make sure that your spiritual condition is fit and, and make sure that your thoughts and feelings are well-tended uh, and make sure that you're physically active if, if you're able to do that with whatever uh, surgical condition you're, you're going to undergo. For chronic pain, it's a lot more of a challenge. Uh, and, I, you know, my, my bottom line, I mean, I'm in recovery myself and uh, I have a, a number of chronic pain conditions and opioids aren't on the table for me. Uh, you know, I don't know if I'm going to live the rest of my life without them, but that's my clear intention because for somebody, whether they're in recovery or not, for somebody to start on opiates for chronic pain, there's a small percentage, maybe 30% of people who can get away with an occasional opioid. If they want to go and take a walk, they'll take an opioid before they go exercise. But the vast majority of people, at least 70% of people start on an opioid, it works, and then it doesn't work anymore. Because, of course, that's, they become tolerant. So then they need to raise the dose. And if they continue on that path of raising the dose, they will eventually become physically dependent. And there's a diminishing return for that continued escalation of dose in uh, a less quality of life. So I strongly recommend for somebody who has a, a, a long-term prospect of being in pain to use an opioid as an alternative. So... You know, the, the, the choices are to, to get physically and, and spiritually and mentally and emotionally fit, which takes a whole lot more work than popping a pill. No, no doubt about that. I was just at a conference um, this weekend, and some of the physicians there were talking about IV, ibuprofen, um, mm-hmm. yep. or acetaminophen. Is that something that um, you Found to be effective, we, or you know, I don't, I don't know what the studies, what the data really says about that. It is interesting, uh, and I'm not uh, as concerned about uh, th- those two drugs, acetaminophen or ibuprofen, if they can be administered intravenously. Obviously, it's not something you can be maintained on for very long. But if I had the option of being exposed to that versus getting uh, uh, fentanyl IV for uh, post-op pain or morphine IV, there's no question that I would want to choose that. And we'll be right back after this commercial for our final segment. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned 
common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Can grief be good for you? Absolutely. It gets your attention, helping you evaluate your choices and relationships. Your losses define who you are. Tune in each week for Good Grief with host Cheryl Jones. Our show features those who have made incredible transformations by grieving their losses. You'll learn how to find your courage and strength. You'll discover the important things in your life and how to let go of things that are less important. Good Grief airs live Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health and Wellness. Do you find yourself caring for people in multiple generations? Are you exhausted, stressed, and overwhelmed? Instead of spending hours searching for resources and information, Dr. Merrill and her guests will provide you with practical, everyday information and solutions to help make your life easier. Tune in to Caught Between Generations, Thursdays at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Helping you make informed decisions for your life. This is Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back to One Hour at a Time. This is Mary Woods, and our guest today is Dr. Mel Pohl, who is the Chief Medical Officer at Las Vegas Recovery Center. And how can folks get in touch with you, Dr. Pohl, if they have questions after they listen to the podcast or whatever? Uh, my website is up, drmelpohl.com, and uh, lasvegasrecovery.com has a whole lot of information uh, that supplements what we've been talking about today. Uh, the number here is area code 702-515-1373, 702-515-1373. Thank you. I guess uh, we, we should talk a little bit about um, medications for treating um, addiction. I, I know that um, our profession seems to have a lot of ambivalence around, you know, whether everything is abstinence or whether there are medications that can support uh, people in recovery, and I'm just wondering where do you where do you fall on that line? Uh, well, you know, I, I'm, I have my own personal recovery, so that uh, gives me some bias. But I try and be scientific and look at evidence. Uh, as you well know, there's a variety of medications uh, to treat. Addiction, Anabis has been around a long time for alcoholism. Now, Trexone uh, in the form of a pill or a shot has been around for alcohol for a long time and now is also uh, known to block the opioid receptor. So it gives some benefit of not being able to get high, if you will, if you use these medications. And then we have the the challenge of figuring out uh, the benefits and potential risks of being on an opiate, uh, like either buprenorphine, uh, suboxone, or other preparations, uh, or methadone. And uh, I have uh, some serious concerns about uh, 
uh, how we're using these medications and what is our long-term strategy. You know, is this a population of people who have deranged brains are going to need to be on these medications for the rest of their lives? You know, they, the, they've been compared to insulin for diabetes. And if that's the case, I think we need to make sure that we're telling the patient that up front and we better be well prepared for a uh, a population of people who are not on insulin, but who are on an opiate, uh, either a full or a partial agonist opiate. So, uh, and and then the second part of my concern is if it's not for life, what's the strategy and the plan to help people get off these? Because they are extremely addicting. Uh, and when I say addicting, I mean causing physical dependence. And in the absence of the drug, it's certainly been described by my patients that they, they desire. I mean, Suboxone is supposed to not get people intoxicated because of its chemical structure. But I can tell you, there's a bunch of people that that's their drug of choice, especially uh, youngsters who I, I treat for uh, chronic heroin addiction. So I wish it was the answer. I, I you know, I, I have to... Uh, remind myself and remind everybody else that addiction is a a, a biological, psychological, sociologic, and spiritual condition. That's how the American Society of Addiction Medicine defines it. And if we're not paying attention to the psychology and the cognitive, emotional, and spiritual aspects of this very complex disease, but simply thinking that we can medicate it, I think we just uh, are not adequately treating these people. Well, I guess I would take that a little bit deeper, too, is that, you know, diabetes, there's biological markers. We can measure the blood glucose level. We can measure glucose in somebody's urine. And we're we're not testing them to see whether they have... You know, sugar or not, we're we're actually looking at levels and how that affects the symptoms, and and we've never ever had that kind of those kind of biomarkers in addiction, yeah. and yeah. so that kind of handicaps people. If you want to be effective in your prescribing practices, you don't really have the biological markers to correspond with dose or need. You know, and I, I think we're moving in that direction, Mary. I think, uh, you know, maybe in the next five to ten years, we'll see a, a more definitive uh, ability to assess and understand the genetics and the manifestation of the genetic markers in addiction. But regardless of what we find out, we cannot treat this very complex disease with medication alone. No, no, no. That's never. That's not, and that's. That's true for almost any chronic illness. You I just think can't. so. I do. I, they, you know, don't get people me with diabetes still have to modify their right. their diet, their exercise, right. and all kinds but, of things. The same thing with hypertension and right. But the medical profession really would be much prefer to simply use a dose of medication to treat exactly. an illness, and I think they forget the fact that there's way more to it than that. Right. Right. And it also affects families. I mean. Um, yeah. We we have talked a little bit about how chronic illness affects families, but it's it's hard. It, it's very hard. Uh, we have a four day family program uh, for our addiction uh, patients, and uh, it is uh, utilized by our pain folks as well. And the families of people in pain are really challenged, and they really need serious help. And it's funny, much like families of, of addicts, uh, oftentimes they just say, look, you take care of the patient. I'm good. <laughs> you know, 
I got this. And uh, so rarely is that the case. Uh, so often they are really compromised and challenged themselves, uh, not by the medication, but by the impact of their loved one being on medication for as long as they have. And uh, they really benefit from an intervention. And the, the intervention that we do in our family program is really all about how can you live a better life, regardless of what happens to the person with pain. Uh, you know, that's that's really the best of codependence treatment. Well, and, and to help them develop new skills and I think to help them, what are the things they can do physically to help themselves as well? I think whenever yes. there's chronic illness in a family, the family gathers around to try to help support that person. But the, I, I know my, my father was in long-term recovery and he developed diabetes and then he you know, he wouldn't modify his diet because he gave up smoking, mm. gave up drinking, and he was just going to eat whatever he wanted to and had horrible yeah. consequences to his diabetes. Yeah. And we all yeah. became consumed with what he was eating, <laughs> what the doctor said, you know, and, and it was like, yeah. it, it was just because we, we loved him and we... Of course. And, and that, of course. then he took on that identity as the, yeah. you know, so it gets really kind of complicated. Yes, well, I mean, this whole topic is complicated, but yes, yeah, certainly uh, issues for families. I mean, that's why we wrote the family workbook, which is specifically, it's a, it's a process that parallels the treatment for the patient, uh, but it really looks at how to find balance in your life if you have a loved one who has chronic pain. Yeah. You know, um, if you, what would be your best advice to a family person who was listening to us today? Um, well, uh, yeah, when I talk with families, I always tell them the same thing. You know, figure out what the truth is and say it. <laughs> and if the truth is, I am miserable because of your pain, I got to take care of myself. Then, then get in touch with that, and without any of the emotional baggage and recrimination that can often go along with that message. So it's not your terrible person and I hate you. It's I am affected. And if I'm affected, I need to take care of myself and maybe together we can figure out how to move forward with this complex process of pain and or addiction. Thank you so much for being our guest today. And once again, um, people can reach you at the Las Vegas Recovery Center. Can you give the number again? Uh, yeah, it's area code 702 702- Five one five one three seven three Las Vegas Recovery dot com, and my website is drmelpole dot com. P O H L. Thank you so much for being our guest, and have a great week. Thanks, you too. It was great talking to you, Mary. And nice talking to you as well. Have a great week, everyone. We appreciate you joining us today for one hour at a time. Successful recovery from a substance abuse problem or mental illness depends on education and support of loved ones. Thank you for being that support system. Be sure to tune in next week for another hour of education and compassion. One hour at a time. We'll see you next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.